I'm Rob. I'm John. And this is Wax Lyrical. Where we talk all things NFTs on the Wax blockchain. So John, heard any interesting questions lately? We've had quite a few of them, to be honest. So now with seven episodes under our belt, let's answer some of those questions that we've received. So, episode eight. We're, uh, we're starting to starting to rack up some episodes now, some hours. We are. Yeah, I mean, let's, uh, now you've said hours, I'm curious as to actually how much of the podcast we have done. So, uh, two, three, four, it's about nine, eight and a half hours. Really? I thought it'd be longer than that. We've, we've done several over, uh, over an hour, haven't we? Yeah, it's become our go-to thing to somehow, without timing it, make all of our episodes roughly the same length. I think it's uh, gradual mental de- degradation. Like we are just collapsing from minute one to <laughs> sort of around 50 minutes. And then by 60 minutes, we no longer function. I mean, by that point in the podcast, I start talking about ladybirds and smarties on toast. Yes. Yes, which is very weird. So uh, let's leave all of that discussion till the end. But uh, of course, up yes. to this point, you guys have uh, very kindly given us some feedback on social media and through our uh, through our Discord servers. And uh, you've come up with some interesting questions based on some of the things we've said in the past and also some things you'd like to hear our opinions on. So uh, we thought we'd take this episode to go through a few of them and give you our thoughts for what they're worth. Some of these are hard as well. We should We should clarify that while we work ridiculous number of hours in this space particularly within wax um we are not experts and i'd be suspicious of anyone that says they're an expert so uh yeah the old do your own research cliche needs to be thrown out uh yeah for sure and i think for some of the topics that are going to come up we are definitely not experts <laughs> so uh i guess we'll uh we'll kick off and see where we see where we end up so yeah. let's take this uh, this first question here. This was sent to us anonymously. It wasn't. Uh, I put oh, anonymous wasn't. down. It was Ross, and I'm going to name him um, because it's a friend of mine and it's a friend of Dave's, and um, he listens every week religiously. I reckon he's probably our top listener on minutes listened. Oh, that's um, awesome. But he asked this question, and he felt it was a stupid question, so he said, can you make it anonymous? But in the moment, I've decided not to make it anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, Ross, this is for you. Uh, uh, yeah, he asks, investing in NFTs on a blockchain seems risky. What if the chain fails, falls apart, hacked, unrecoverable or modified in some way? Are my assets lost forever and can I transfer them to another chain? That's, I think this is actually a really good question that a lot of people, particularly new to um, NFTs or blockchain, would, would ask. So uh, what are your thoughts? I guess I'll take the last part of that question first. Can I transfer my assets to another chain? That, at the moment at least, depends entirely on what chain you're on. Uh, yeah. That is not a very user-friendly way to start answering that question, but it's, it is what it is. So this year, Wax is working on uh, bridges to both Ethereum and the Binance Smart Chain. So mm-hmm. if you had an NFT on any one of those three chains, um, you'd be able to send it to one of the other three, if that makes sense. So the note about um, if blockchains become uh, hacked or slash modified in some way, we've seen this with some of the larger chains in the past where there's been some sort of hack. They've lost, let's say, $200 million in some sort of crypto. And then the owners of that blockchain have to make a decision at that point. Mm. They, They have to decide, do we carry on? As it is, do we do a rollback of some sort? Do we do then do a hard fork, which is basically splitting this one blockchain into two? That starts to get into in some really complicated stuff. Yes, that's that's. I think that's a really interesting uh, area. The hard fork, we've seen it a few times. Uh, obviously, Ethereum did a, a very famous rollback. When is that who you were referring to? Because I think that was about two hundred million, wasn't it? That was it stolen. was, yeah. 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 So the thing with a hard fork is essentially what you do is you have, um, so say, I'd say this is very unlikely, but let's imagine that the, the Wax blockchain had some catastrophic hack and loads and loads of NFTs and Wax was stolen. What you could do is you could create a new Wax 2.0 that uh, honors Wax 1.0 um, other than the stolen amounts. So people can basically just transfer 1.0 to 2.0 and then you just go on as if it didn't happen 
the problem with this is that's obviously highly exploitable um, and it does kind of undermine uh, much of what we look to blockchain for the decentralization the trustlessness mm-hmm. um, but it, it you know it, it's an option there and ethereum took it and I think they were probably right to do so uh, as for are your assets lost forever? I don't, I can't imagine that happening on an established chain. Um, deep tech isn't, I don't think either John nor I can really talk with any sort of uh, <laughs> uh, experience or expertise on the deep tech of, of blockchain. Neither of, us are, neither of us can write smart contracts or code, no. but it is very, very low risk, extremely low. Blockchain's um, by their very nature, are spread out all over the world, multiple providers. The information is widely distributed. For you to lose everything and for a chain to just vanish, it would be it would require so many catastrophic disasters to happen all at the same time uh, that it's just it's a little bit like saying, could the internet be deleted? Most proper chains are almost that difficult. Yeah, yeah, and I think I mean let's take Wax for an example. If you wanted wax to disappear off the face of the earth. That would mean every block producer somehow disappears. Um, yeah. You know, there's some, you know, some sort of hack that just somehow takes every block producer out of action. That it causes irreparable damage. And, and like Rob said, it, it is very much like saying, "Can you delete the internet?" I'm sure. Let's say if you nuked planet Earth, it's possible. But in in reality it's highly 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 unlikely yeah i mean with the block producers it's not only just taking out all of the block producers servers and nodes but um it's taking out all the information that is then distributed widely across like cloud services and so on so it's not just taking down like one server sitting somewhere in germany it's you know it's a massive task that i mean i wouldn't want to say it's impossible because i don't think it is but uh, it's nothing I would ever worry about. Yeah. I think I will add uh, the first line of that says uh, investing in NFTs on blockchain seems risky. Um, I know this question is more about the technical side of that, but um, of course, investing in in anything really is inherently risky. And right, yeah. I think with with NFTs being so new, there is probably a little more risk in investing in uh, particular NFTs than there are in other areas. But from a technical standpoint, I don't think that's where the risk is. I think the risks in you know it's a it's a new form of uh, media let's say and you know it's uh, there's a there's a billion projects out there and there's probably only going to be you know a hundred of them that are worth the salt in 10 years 20 years 30 years but that's an entirely different uh question there so yeah okay um right first question down first question of quite a few yeah let's head to the um to the next one so we just took that question on the riskiness of the blockchain, and it's something that's somewhat related. We have a question from uh, from Zoroba in, uh, I believe, the NFT Insider Discord. I think he popped a message in the Token Gamer Discord as well, actually. He did, yeah. And uh, he asked, there's currently a big problem with cyberbullying, revenge porn, and so on. Uh, imagine if those were on the blockchain where records cannot be deleted. I'm curious as to what would happen if the EU caught wind of such activity because of the right to forget directive. Could they try to illegalize blockchains or NFTs because of that? Oh, that I mean, this is the second, this is an even bigger question than the first to answer. Um, it's So I think the prompt for this question was my article for you this week um, at NFT Insider, which is uh, about niche uses for blockchain technology and NFTs. Yep. Um, and now obviously this is the flip side of that sort of um, court, like effects that we don't want um, with uh, blockchain technology. So um, Zoroba put this in Token Gamer as well. And I spoke to him a little bit about it last night. The right to forget directive is in layman's terms is just your right to have things deleted forever off the internet. Um, and then obviously cyberbullying and everything is obvious. And the question really is with the permanence of blockchain, if someone were to upload something that most people wouldn't want on, on the blockchain, what can we do about it? Because obviously it's decentralized, it's trustless, it doesn't have a, a governing body. So 
nobody can take that off. So it's just there forever. And there's an interesting case of this in China last year. There was a student at a university who was, I think she was sexually assaulted and she took it to the university and the police and she was basically dismissed and her report was just squashed. No one no one did anything. Right. So she wrote her report, the letter that she'd sent the university, into the notes of an Ethereum transaction. Okay. Um, and then it went viral, which so, you know, it, it served its pers- purpose twice over. Um, but nobody can get at that. Nobody can take that down. That's that's just there now. Um, now that's a that's a pretty good use, really. But what if someone did something like you know revenge porn or um, any number of illegal activities? What do we do then? Uh, it's it's so difficult to answer this. I think a lot of the problems of blockchain are human problems. They're just things that the worst kinds of society will try and do things that we don't want them to do. And, you know, the internet's been used for that. Um, I spoke to a friend about this uh, yesterday and I was saying about how, you know, at the the early days of the internet, we saw the the exact same conversation with people uh, uploading things that, you know, we didn't want to see, pornography that's not legal, um, but that's gonna that's always gonna happen, and I know we can combat that in a way when it comes to um, things on the internet. But it will still keep cropping up. You can still keep uploading it. So there's, yeah. I don't think there's really a way around that per se. Um, and I, I think it's going to go through the, the same things the internet did. But we can't just rule out technology, which is the end of this question. You know, should we try? Do you think they could try and uh, illegalize blockchains? I don't think that's a solution. You could say uh, cars help people, help murderers move bodies further away and quicker. Should we ban cars? I mean, mm. just because something aids in illegal activity doesn't mean that piece of technology should be banned. And I don't think they will. Um, uh, it's, it's such a deep question. I, I I could go on forever about this. What do you think? Yeah, that's, that's super, super difficult. I think um, a specific point about EU's right to forget directive is that uh, an individual person should have the right to have their private information essentially deleted from the internet and of course that inherently goes against um, you know the entire decentralized nature of blockchains um, I will say I, I can't speak on behalf of OpenSea or SuperAero or any other ETH based marketplaces or chains but at least from an atomic hub point of view if we have nfts minted via our service they're linked to a particular collection and then if that collection is found to be doing anything untoward whether it's you know something that's you know way less serious than cyberbullying and revenge or something like i don't know ip theft i know that's in the grand scheme of things ip theft is not on the same scale as revenge porn let's just that's hmm. what i'm trying to get across um, but if any collection seems to be doing anything untoward we can blacklist that collection you know, we can do everything that we can to prevent those NFTs from showing up um, in wallets or on the platform. They do still exist on the chain. We can just try and hide them. And Yeah, this, this is where the analogy of the deep web and the surface web comes in. Yeah. You know, um, I, <laughs> I hate the fact how much we're talking about porn, but uh, porn websites can obviously ban illegal content and then you could find it on the deep web. It's, yeah. I think the analogy is probably pretty close there. Things like Atomic Hub can ban and blacklist things that we don't want to see and that you know we, we want to protect people from, but it still exists on the chain and people will be able to access if they go out of their way to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. And I think... It's likely if the EU picks up on things like this, they'll try and put pressure on platform services, maybe the people behind blockchains to try and do something. Mm. Of course, from an Atomic Hub point of view, it would just be a case of, you know, making sure our moderation is secure, making sure we take down content such as revenge porn as soon as it comes up or yeah. anything like that. And, you know, we're, we're always developing our, our whitelisting requirements and the way we check collections for these sorts of things to try and... Uh, both offer all the decentralized freedoms that uh, the wax blockchain should give but also try and uh, prevent um, bad actors let's say from minting nfts that could be malicious in some way yeah i I mean i said to um in my chat actually that 
I don't think there's necessarily a solution to this. And the difficulty with, you know, blockchains being trustless or centralized is uh, there isn't any one person or one um, sort of governing body that can do anything about this. And then I, I did suggest to him half tongue in cheek, we could have a sort of ethics committee governance DAO. Um, and then I did I just reinvent democracy? I think I did. <laughs> And then I wasn't sure <laughs> what I was even getting at anymore. So I, I'm not sure there is a solution. I think it's the same as everywhere else um, that you can do illegal things. We've just got to do our best to, to combat it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, next question. Let's go for something a little more lighthearted. Yeah, please. Uh, shall we? Uh, so from Stuck at 6pm, um, thoughts on the project saturation with so many things coming to wax. Do you think it will be harder for new projects despite the ever-growing number of tools available to creators? Hmm. I'll, I'll let you go first on this one, I think. It's, um, of course, there's, we talked previously on the podcast, you know, wax is now up to 10 million wallets. We are seeing more and more NFTs minted on Atomic Hub every single day. I think I am just going to check this real quick to ensure I am correct. We are uh, 7 million NFTs away from having 100 million NFTs created on Atomic Hub. So with that many... Get creating today. (laughs) I think with that many NFTs out there, um, of course, as the number of artists increase, people are going to, well, creators are going to be in a way, competing for the same disposable income, let's call it. Will it become harder for new projects to get their name out there? Yes. I think that's always been the case in any medium, probably since the beginning of human history. You know, back when Mm. one guy could make the wheel and then two guys could make wheels and then... (laughs) You really uh, did go far back. (laughs) Yeah, but going back to the Stone Age, it's always been that sort of uh, competition, you know, Okay, there's one man that can make fire and then everybody knows how to make fire and it, it's the same with um, NFTs I suppose you know when, when NFTs really kicked off at the start of 2021 there wasn't that many people creating NFTs there wasn't that many games or dApps out there and now there's been a massive explosion and you know every creator's fighting for a, a bit of the pie let's say mm. and I think from that point of view it's um, it's a case of you know are you marketable are you communicative are you doing things in the right way are you doing things in a way that will entice perspective uh, collectors into purchasing your NFTs. So, of course, there's a there's a plethora of tools out there. There's more tools being developed every day, but, but I think it's less the case now. I think when I first joined the Wax blockchain, there were some kind of low quality art projects that were getting a decent amount of sales purely because there wasn't many people on the chain. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think you know you've got to be a quality no. project, doing things the right way, and hopefully that'll allow you to find an audience that wants to support you and your work. So I think my answer is the same as yours, really. Yes, it, it will become harder and that's natural. One thing I don't like with the sort of rise in popularity is a, a kind of inherent fame-based nepotism where the most famous people just always get the results. And I think that's something we can combat. And I, I think it's kind of the job of people like John and I and many other content creators in the space to highlight good work and to make wax as close to a meritocracy as it can be. Yeah. We'll obviously miss, I mean, with 100 million NFTs, we're not going to see everything. But I think if there's content creators out there, and if, you know, if you're not creating content right now, but you, you're you interested in the space, create a blog, come write for one of us. Like, there's plenty you can do to help highlight the best people, the best creators, the best projects, um, and kind of counter the fact that there is obviously going to be an increasing project saturation, which is... Uh, just a consequence of rising popularity which ironically even the best projects and even the unknown projects want yeah i think there's an important distinction to make between nfts and let's say real world products i mean let's say if you want to buy a can of fizzy pop in the uk fizzy pop jesus no that's it oh i hate that in a way anyway um (laughs) let's say if you wanted to buy a can of cola in the uk you're probably buying either coke or pepsi they've cornered the market or if you want to buy you know some peanuts you're either buying kp or i can only really think name of a second brand name, name a second brand of peanuts because i can't think of one i can't think in of a one. million years kp is it that's it yeah but i think 
this will become a similar thing in NFTs, but possibly even more so, you know, if you can become well known for creating a particular kind of NFT, um, then of course that give you an advantage over other people. So, you know, you've got the big dApps, you've got the big profile picture projects, you've got people that are creating NFTs around characters. And, you know, if you can, if you manage to find a niche for yourself and, and, you know, try and establish that human connection between the community and, you know, the art that you're creating, then uh, that's an edge, I suppose you can have. But um, even more so now than at any time before, and it's only going to get more more prevalent is you need to kind of find find something to make you stand out. I don't think you can generate sales no longer by just minting an NFT. Yeah, I think you you also brought up a, a good point there. You can see the growing space as uh, an issue, but you can also see the current time as an opportunity. You know, we couldn't name any other brand of peanuts other than KP, but <laughs> imagine right back when packaged snacks were rare, you had an opportunity to build something that would last. So at the moment, there aren't many huge brands on blockchain using you know nf like nfts to their full um, potential they're not creating collections or whatever so it's it feels like now's the time you don't have to compete with the big guys you're still early enough that you can create a name for yourself um so i'd, I'd like to kind of flip it around that way yeah. although the space is growing quickly particularly wax um, you're still early and you've still got plenty of time to create things and make a name for yourself in the space without having to fight with the giants, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And no, I think we mentioned them in the last podcast. We now have an artist on Wax that just makes chairs. Yes, <laughs> we did mention that. And I looked it up after the podcast. They yeah, are indeed, indeed chairs. They are chairs. And he's, I don't know, he's developed some sort of cult following just because he's making chairs. It's I am... I'm very pleased for him, but I hate people that are just this cool. They can just create anything and people are like, wow, that's great. I, I want that. I've never been that guy <laughs> that can just think up anything and, and make it work. Because people will say, like they do with lots of art, they'll say, oh, anyone could do that. But anyone didn't. This guy did. And it's worked. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I, just, just, I wish I had that eye for things. Yeah, just be weird, be unusual, be yourself. And, you know, you'll, you'll attract a... I'm sure you'll attract an audience. Speaking of which, I cannot for the life of me remember what this collection was, but it was maybe May, June last year. There was this weird collection that it had something to do with phone numbers. You could like, if you gave, they were like, basically you could text this number and then it would send you, I don't know, like a piece of code or something and you could input it and it would take you to a trade link and you could really? claim an entry. It was really bizarre. I'm not sure what happened to it. It kind of, it was a thing for about two weeks and then disappeared. But hey, I'm sure there's plenty of creative ways that are... Uh, You're just harvesting that, people's phone numbers oh, maybe, <laughs> to sell. But, um, but yeah, there, there's plenty of creative ways um, that NFTs could be... Oh yeah, we you know, barely minted, touched it. sold, you know. So yeah, I, be, be creative, man. And uh, I'm sure the... Uh, the community will be right behind you. Or not. But at least you try. <laughs> I'm trying to be optimistic here. Yeah, <laughs> I felt like I needed to offset that. It was the Englishman in me. Just <laughs> Everything was going too nice. Right, okay. Next question. Let's uh, let's pick up the pace on this. QC um, asks, which major game studio do you see taking on blockchain gaming first? Uh, good question. We have already seen one major game studio take on NFTs yep. um, in the form of Ubisoft, but that's not yes. quite, uh, that's more an NFT as part of their game rather than a quote-unquote blockchain game. Um, yeah, it's hard to say who, I mean, uh, technically Ubisoft have maybe won the race because they're the first major studio to use blockchain in any way within one of their main titles. It's not a very good title and it's not a very good NFT, but that's not the point. They were the first through the door. So I think they did win that. But I think the better question, and I think probably the question he's getting at, is who's going to be the first studio to release a game that uses blockchain as part of its you know, gameplay mechanics. And um, that's, a, that's a difficult one. There's a lot of people in play at the moment, but... Yeah. It's hard to. We don't know how far people are along, are along the development road, particularly. Yeah. Uh, so I'm don't know. It's a hard one to call. I, mean, I can say with a decent amount of certainty that I am sure 
90 something percent of game studios are at least taking a look at blockchain gaming and saying is this for us can we envision a way to turn one of our ips into a game that would utilize this technology for ethical reasons is it something we do or don't want to do you know environmental concerns ease of implementing blockchain etc etc to predict who's going to be the first is an incredibly difficult question (laughs) Um, i I think we also need to shift the question slightly because i think i don't want people to put too much focus on the first triple a game to be launched that uses blockchain because that incentivizes rushing a game out yeah. which I, we've also we've already seen that in the indie gaming space people are just desperate to get a game out on the chances that it goes viral and they're they're not putting the the care into making a great game but i think the better question is the first successful blockchain game from a major studio if i had to put my money on it i would say square enix given their <laughs> um open letter a few weeks ago <laughs> that's that's bizarre. I was going to say exactly the same. Uh, oh, I, I stole to, it. Yeah, I was going to say Square Enix. Um, yeah, they did publish that open letter, and I know in their, um, I think it was one of their investor calls a couple of months ago, they said they were exploring blockchain and how it could apply mm. to the uh, the IPs that they hold. Um, yeah. But they d- they also don't release many games, though. They, they don't pump out the games. They don't. In terms of you know, public opinion of Squeenix, it's considerably higher than, let's say, an EA or an Ubisoft yeah. or a Blizzard. On that point, I really hope it is not Activision Blizzard King or EA or even Ubisoft that create, you know, uh, that do the first major attempt. Because I can I can imagine with EA them doing some sort of really kind of half-assed, rush, not well-implemented implementation of blockchain for something like fifa and it would really blacken um the opinion of nfts in video games should that happen yeah i also think as someone who played world of warcraft for like 16 years i don't trust blizzard with (laughs) with nfts i think they will cash in far too hard on that they've proven themselves unworthy of uh of that sort of technology i Again, I, I think if I had to choose, I think probably Square Enix would <laughs> would get my uh, my vote. Even though I don't even play many of their games, but the games I have played, they just they're a good publisher. They, they seem reasoned. Um, Ubisoft could maybe do something better than they just did. That might have been them just testing the waters and seeing if the uh, you know the infrastructure's there and working. But I don't know. I think it's still going to be indie games for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's going to be... Oh, do I think we'll see one 2022? Probably not. 2023, more likely from a, a AAA yeah. studio, but who knows? Difficult. Who knows? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, another another question we've given a sort of... We don't know, but here's our thoughts answer. <laughs> That's the best we can do, I'm afraid. It is. We're trying our best. So, another question that was popped as a response to one of our previous episodes in the NFT Insider Discord... Uh, was a couple of episodes ago we talked about uh, use cases for uh, virals so nfts that are connected to a physical item Hmm. and the comment here was that virals could be a perfect uh, perfect abuse mechanic for scalpers they go on to say that uh, of course there was a massive shortage of the newest generation consoles and scalping is one of the main issues with you know, people posting that they'd bought hundreds of them and, you know, they were selling them off on eBay for three times the price and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, they also add if they, if you didn't have to have the item physically, it would make the job of scalpers a lot easier. You know, they could buy much more. It's no longer limited by how much storage space they have. Uh, and they just want to know what our thoughts were on scalpers and viral NFTs. Well, I mean, boo scalpers, obviously. Um, yes. We don't like those. I I think I'm going to have to hark back to what I said earlier with um, making blockchains illegal in that scalping is a, a human problem. So yep. it's something that's always going to be a problem and they're going to just find different ways to do it. Um, but I actually think that blockchain is almost uniquely equipped for bypassing the problem. Um, and I think we've already seen it. I know I spoke, it might have been that same episode that I spoke about Wax's early launches versus their most recent launches. Mm-hmm. It was 
first come first serve in the early, early early ones and i don't remember there being a limit to how many you could buy either so people or, or the limit was really really high uh so people like me were just just spam refreshing and the second we got in we'd buy as many as we could afford and and that was it and loads of people missed out and it, it kind of sucks there was there was no good way of doing it and then um they've just been sort of refining that over the years and now we've had, I think with the, again, I've mentioned this at least twice, but the with the Hot Wheels one, I was 36,000th in queue. Yeah. Um, so that's not actually a bad thing because it wasn't a first come first serve queue. It's just you're given a number randomly and, and that's your lot. And maybe you'll get some, maybe you won't. And it, it's annoying, especially if you really want something, but it does overcome at least partially scalpers. That yeah. You're still going to get people that, scalpers that get a ticket into that queue and then they get lucky but that's the the thing we need to stamp out is not people buying something to then resell it for more but people that want to do that for a career like people mm-hmm. that make a, a career out of their you know a full-time job and a full income out of buying things that people are trying to get and then selling them for for more that's yep. that's the sucky side of scalping if someone just gets something and thinks oh it's worth more and sells it that's not really a problem um so I think the queue system and the various other uh, implemented rules do work. And I think we've come a long way. What do you think? Yeah, I think something that blockchains make easy to implement is things like randomized queuing, whitelists, etc. You know, if you're stood mm. physically in queue at a location trying to buy a PS5, you know, it, it's whoever can get muscle their way to the front of the queue, let's say. <laughs> Whilst yeah. at least with, uh, you know, randomized queues and whitelists, Everybody has a fair chance, and then of yeah, course when, when you get to the um, purchase point, you know most drops. I mean, even if you go on Nefty or Atomic Cub now and you try and buy something, a lot of drops will be you know you can buy a max of one or a max of two. Uh, of course, yeah. you could go on the secondary market and um, and buy more, but at least that helps to limit the scalpers. You know, if a, if somebody did want to buy fifty of a particular NFT and the primary drop, they can only buy two. They're going to be paying through their teeth to get the other forty-eight on the secondary market. So yeah, exactly. Uh, Alex asks: Tops recently partnered with Wax. What other collectibles do you think are poised to benefit by exploring the NFT space? This should be a podcast episode rather than a, a brief question, because I imagine you have at least a thousand answers immediately. Yeah, I mean, we've seen an awful lot of collectible brands hit Wax this year. You know, we've seen Hasbro, Funko, Hot Wheels. And more and more, there's even, you know, other uh, trading card brands that have hit wax this year. Uh, You know, we've seen marketplaces such as Dibs pop up, which, uh, you know, they're more fractionalized ownership of real trading cards. But, oh man, I think we've, there's so, so many collectible brands that have embraced NFTs so far. And there's so, so many that are yet to do so that I'm sure are considering it. Who would I like to see? I think one company I would like to see is Konami. I know they're exploring Castlevania NFTs and those have had a mixed reaction, let's call it. But um, from my point of view, of course, Konami owns uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! And dude, make it, let's make a play-to-earn Yu-Gi-Oh! trading card game. I would adore that. I'm sure there's plenty of other people that would too. Yeah. My answer is boring, but also exciting because I know so many people agree with me, but it's just such an easy hit out of the park. It's got to be Pokemon. I've got to <laughs> play to the uh, the 13-year-old in me that was just in love with Pokemon when I was like a kid. And although I, you know, I've not really got into it, and I know a lot of people collect the physical cards now and you know, Pokemon Go was good for a summer for me, but <laughs> it didn't last after that. But I I would love to see, you know, Pokemon on wax. I think that would be a, a big play. And there's people have made a lot of links to how it could come onto wax. Uh, but <laughs> it's it, there's been no solid news about it being on any blockchain yet. There's been a, there's a rumor every single day, but that would uh, certainly be my my choice. Oh, it'd be absolutely huge. I, I guess a quick tangent. There is something about. Um about blockchains and trading card games that just fits so well that's yep. such a great a great translation between blockchains and trading cards you know the whole point of you know unpacking an nft pack and seeing what you got inside and then you know perhaps using those nfts in some sort of game or it's it works together so well and i can't wait i mean there's 
there's trading card games on wax already. I know Noah Collectibles are working on one, and of course you've got games like, I mean, they're not on wax, but Gods and Chains, Splinterlands, etc., etc. And I'm sure we've only seen the the uh, the tip of the iceberg when it comes to TCGs on blockchains. Definitely, it's it's a bit surprising to me how well it works because the pack openings. I would have said before I knew of NFTs, I would have said the pack openings weren't. Uh, they wouldn't have the same impact. They wouldn't have the same satisfaction level as you open and look through the cards. Mm. But then FIFA kind of proved to me that pack openings can be exciting, even in a game, even digital, and you don't even own those cards. Mm. And then it's just been taken one step further with um, with blockchain technology. And and that's one area that I, I think FIFA just could cash in on if they wanted and making those um, ultimate packs. If you make those uh, NFTs, my God, it just... You're printing money forever. Uh, oh, for sure. But yeah, I think the trading card games, they just they just fit perfectly because it's a collectible and an NFT is a collectible a lot of the time at the moment. Obviously, we're adding u- utility into it now, but it, it the technology is you know, perfect for collectibles. So yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a funny pairing, but it works, oh, works unbelievably well. So I think we'll see a lot more over the years. Yeah, I think trading cards are one of those things that's just easy to understand for the average person. You know, they know what Pokemon cards are or Yu-Gi-Oh's or whatever. So when these brands bridge over to NFTs, it's like, okay, I already know what this is. You know, I'm buying packs, I'm unpacking cards, I get to see what I have, etc. I mean, man, I've been playing a lot of Gods Unchained on stream lately and their unpacking animation is... uh, Oh, I wouldn't want to say it's addictive because I think that has negative connotations, but it is a beautiful unpacking animation, I'll tell you that It's a, a beautiful thing you can't stop doing. <laughs> so, well, thankfully, I've not had to buy any pack shit because they keep giving me some for free. So oh, win-win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when it's attached to a game as well, um, it becomes... If these collectibles have utility, it just adds yet another level to it for me. If yep. you can, you know, you can them to work i, I play uh splinterlands and you know when you get something rare in that it, it feels cool even when you get the foil cards which i don't think even have any <laughs> actual benefit other than sort of flex but it's still yeah it's great i think i think that's one of the best areas currently there are obviously a lot of blockchain games out there at the moment but it's the trading cards ones that i think are top of the pile for me for sure uh, so next question, we had two similar ones um, that I thought we'd bundled together here. So one that we got in the NFT Insider Discord was, uh, it's obvious from a performance standpoint that games can't ask users to sign every transaction as it would disrupt the immersive part of gaming. What are your thoughts on the balance of on-chain and off-chain actions for blockchain gaming? And then a similar question that I believe came from Josh at Stratton Studios was that he'd uh, love to hear our thoughts on where the line should be drawn in... Uh, our opinions between the decentralization of an application and its framework and making sure that the user of the DAP or game has a stellar user experience. Yeah, this is a difficult question at the moment and it's coming up for a lot of blockchain game developers. I I think at the moment it's really hard to give a good answer to this. I think down the line there's going to be a neat solution to how we deal with um, on-chain and off-chain activity. But at the moment, it, it's kind of poor. And I'll give you a really good example of this. Axie Infinity last year had 109,000 active wallets. Okay. Unless unless you include off-chain acti- activity, in which case it's 2.6 million. <laughs> so right. it, what we're, we're struggling to strike a balance at the moment with... Um, obviously, for gameplay benefits, we don't want to be signing transactions everything we do but then to utilize blockchain to its fullest we do need to make sure a lot of it is on chain a lot of the game is on chain and we are signing transactions there there isn't a great solution to this at the moment um i think one example uh, with alien worlds there's a lot of transactions in that game Mm -hmm. and you have to sign each one now if you're i don't want to say brave enough but uh (laughs) It is kind of, if you're brave enough, you can just tick always automatically sign. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if there's anything in game that could cause catastrophic loss, you know, buying something by accident or whatever. But that's one way around it is you can auto sign. Um, It doesn't feel like the best solution, but it's kind of the only solution we've got right now. Otherwise you are, you know, um, it's not as immersive because you do have to constantly sign these transactions. 
I think at the moment we've got no choice. We've just got to split between on-chain and off-chain and have as much as we can on-chain without being it too disruptive. I know one blockchain game that's um, been doing pretty well, it kind of has like a commit, like a like a GitHub commit where you say go out and do dungeons or whatever and you bring the loot back and you put the loot in your home chest and when you put it in your chest that commits it to the chain so i think there's sort of neat little gameplay ways around it but that isn't ideal for more complicated games um i hope that's what the guys are asking i presume it is what do you think Uh, i think um the the first question of those two about sort of a seamless experience we've seen some games Oh, well, so again, some games that I've played on stream do this particularly well. Um, I know, as we currently say this, the, the minting in Immersus is currently down, but the, I think the way they implemented it was fantastic. You know, each each resource you mine has a percentage chance of, let's say, giving you a log or a piece of iron ore. And then rather than yeah. that being a transaction, it's, you know, it just triggers a piece of code that's like, oh, okay, you've hit the, I don't know, 0.2% chance it is to mint this item then it just gets sent uh, well it gets minted but it gets sent to your wallet so there's no there's no right. tra- there's no transaction the player has to do there uh, it's just all handled by code in the background which is an interesting way of doing it and again with games such as uh, such as costume clash uh, with tr- i've been playing a lot of, them, and of course is uh, josh's game who's uh, asked the the second question there um nfts play a part in his game of course you know NFTs can give you particular cards, they can give you particular abilities, um, hats, cosmetics, um, etc. But w- within the gameplay itself, there's no sort of minting of NFTs or, you know, there's no mm. complex transactions that have to occur there. You just need the NFTs themselves to play the game. And Gods Unchained does, uh, does that in a similar way as well. You know, the, the actual game itself, those could just be you know, digital cards in the same way it is with Hearthstone. It's just that outside of the game, you can trade them on, uh, you know, other marketplaces and you effectively own the cards that you're playing with. So it varies very much depending on the type of game you're trying to create. I imagine with some games, it's going to be way, way harder than with others. Um, But I'm sure that down the line, we'll start to see some more uh, innovative solutions to try and make that uh, the experience for the player as seamless as possible. Yeah, the, the game, so I mentioned this, I think, last week, but Dave and I started Life in Blockchain trying to make a blockchain game, um, which is, you know, probably a third of the way done. And we've had to put it on the back burner. But the way we got around that problem was simply you had, uh, it was like a, a game where you have to fight off waves of enemies. And when you got to the end of it, there was loot dropped. And then that's the transaction there. Mm. So a lot of what's happening is off chain and then you just you have like one transaction at the end. But then there's there's lots of games like a Immersus, that's quite a um quite a good solution that they've come up with minting the drops as as and when they happen because obviously if you're doing these games where you're farming resources or anything, uh you don't want to be signing a transaction every time you chop a tree or um mine <laughs> mine some <laughs> iron out of a vein. Yeah. Uh, I do wonder, I mean I, I don't know enough about um, writing smart contracts but I do wonder if you could do what um, a lot of chains do to avoid gas fees where they group transactions mm-hmm. I wonder if you could do something like that uh, to avoid like you know maybe every couple of minutes you group a transaction and, and do everything that's happened in that time period or when you zone out or zone in I think there's probably a few ways around it but at the moment there there isn't a really all-encompassing solution to this problem and we just have to try not to be too invasive uh, with the sort of immersion breaks of transaction signing but I mean it's fine it's early days and I think most games have, have managed to get around the problem pretty well to be honest yeah I think it'll be one of those things where some game will stumble across a very good solution and just everybody else will rush to adopt the, the same <laughs> yeah. solution, most likely. Yeah, so. definitely. Um, but yeah, I think over time that will uh, that will improve. So, Okay, next question uh, is Christian. And he asked, how do you stop wash sales? Uh, I spoke to him about this briefly and he unpacked it a little bit as price manipulation, insider trading, um, people using uh like buying their own nfts for stupid high prices to bump up the collection value and so on and so forth Uh, this is (laughs) a very difficult question to answer so i'm going to put it to you first uh thanks rob for that you're welcome 
Um, in terms of price manipulation, uh, this is so tricky. This is, uh, I mean, I get reports every once in a while, you know, somebody will send me a message and say, hey, you know, I've just seen this creator of this collection has just minted an NFT and sent it to another wallet. And it's like, oh, is he is he sending NFTs to his friends or like trying to mm. make money in a shady way? And, you know, people make me aware of that thing because it is kind of shady, but I don't want to speak on behalf of Atomic Up here for for this in particular, but would an action like that be something that could de-whitelist a collection or get them in trouble? Is it is it our responsibility to, you know, do we protect decentralization and say, hey, that's an okay thing to do, or do we reprimand them or what? These are that's such a difficult. I'm so glad I put this on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and once again, thank you for that. It's um, <laughs> it is such a difficult question to to unpack, and especially with with wash sales. Um, oh man, I mean, I, I, currently. When you interact with most blockchains, you don't have to do any forms of KYC. Of course, if you're a creator on a, on Atomic Hub, you do have to go through a KYC process. But in general, mm. KYC for most things blockchain related is done by the exchanges rather than the platforms. So it's I, 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 I'm struggling to even find words to answer that question sufficiently. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Rob, and hope that you have a better answer than I do. I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure I do. I, I have a few things I'd like to say on this. So one, this happens in every walk of life and it's happened for hundreds of years. And it's, I'm going to say it for the third time this podcast, it's a human issue that, that just is <laughs> happening on blockchain. So we probably have to deal with it in much the same way. Um, I do think that so you said, should someone lose whitelisting if they're trying to inflate their own prices by buying their own NFTs for crazy high prices. Had you have not said it's anti-decentralization to remove their whitelist? Actually, I don't think... No, no, I'm sticking with it. Uh, yes, I think they should lose their whitelist for that. Okay. Because the whitelist is something a marketplace has attributed to them. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of earn that whitelist. The whitelist is given to people that are trusted. Uh, and they've proven themselves untrustworthy. So uh, I don't work for Atomic Hub, so I can say it. <laughs> I do think they they should lose their whitelist for yeah. that. Um, the other point I wanted to make is that it's not great, but there is at least some risk to doing this. And we saw the risk at the end of last year. And it, it was, it, it's arguable about whether it was intentional or not. But it doesn't really matter because the result was the same. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a game called Crypto Mines, which was a play-to-earn game on the Binance Smart Chain, and it had its own token called Eternal. It was a sci-fi game. You mined planets. It was kind of the familiar strategic um, sci-fi game that we've seen, you know, a bit like Alien Worlds, um, that sort of genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Eternal token went live, I think, early to mid-September 2021. And it did okay, and it was gradually rising. And then in November, it went absolutely parabolic. Uh, I think there, there wasn't there wasn't huge supply of this token, um, which is partly why the price went so high. And I think it reached eight hundred dollars per token, which is obviously wild for mm. particularly for a, a game token. And then someone in their community found that the by far the biggest whales of eternal tokens were the game's own developers right and the price of eternal went down 99 percent in under 12 hours jesus so there is kind of a risk where if people are trying to game the system the player base can just withdraw and in many ways, blockchain is, again, unique in that front that I don't think that can necessarily happen as easily outside of crypto. But inside crypto, if, you know, your players lose faith, for example, in in a gaming token, we've seen it. This is not the first time. And this is where I coined that phrase rug slip because I'm mm-hmm. not entirely sure that crypto mines were doing this on purpose, that they were trying to inflate the price that they could sell and make a fortune, which they could have. Yeah. They had, they probably had hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in their bank at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they were you know, trying to ride it right up and then cash in, who knows? 
Um, but it doesn't really matter. They were found out and immediately felt the ramifications. And I do think that is a kind of a, a risk, particularly because unlike the stock market or unlike the art market outside of crypto, we have decentralized ledgers where everything is completely transparent and trustless. That word comes back again. So we can see who's buying things. And if a brand new wallet buys its first NFT for way over what it's probably worth, questions are going to be asked and people are going to want to see where that that money goes. And you can kind of follow the paper trail. So I think perhaps crypto could I mean, we could definitely do better at stopping the sort of wash sales and price manipulation and insider trading and all the awful stuff that happens. But I do think we've got the tools at least to deal with it better than some industries, um, particularly, you know, art and stuff like that. At least we do have, you know, the wallets and we can trace the sort of transactions uh, and it does make it riskier. I think in that situation in particular, of course, that token dropping 99% didn't just affect the developers. It also affected anybody that purchased into that token at that point. That's a good point. And I think it's important to note that, again, NFTs are a highly volatile asset. You know, it's not like buying a microwave that still has its use. Let's say, I don't know, what's a microwave brand? I can't even think of any now. But let's Uh, say that that (laughs) that company goes through some sort of scandal and nobody wants their products anymore. You've still got a functioning microwave. Yeah. Whereas, let's say a big DAP goes through some sort of scandal, the price of their token drops, and then whatever you've purchased is now virtually worthless. Yeah. That's There is inherently more risk in purchasing an NFT than there is, let's say, a typical physical item in the real world. But I will say on the point of price manipulation, I took part in an auction uh, this week on Wednesday for a mint one nft from a brand new collection now the i end- waxy it one. was the waxy one yes so that mm. nft uh, ended up going for two and a half thousand wax the nice. cr- the creator uh mikey also owns a red panda collection he uh, said in the twitch chat at the time because i streamed it um, he said i wasn't expecting it to go for any more than 200 now is that that's not price manipulation. That was just me and somebody that I knew happened to really, really want this and it ended up going for two and a half thousand wax rather than, you know, a thousand or five hundred or whatever. Yeah. But for those people that aren't aware of that auction, if you now look up that asset on Atomic Hub, uh, for example, it will now you can now see that transaction on the on the blockchain. It'll say, hey, this asset at one point sold for two and a half thousand wax. So part of me in my in my head is thinking, you know, if, if somebody just comes across this collection and thinks it's really cool, do they will they want to buy, I don't know, the Mint 2 or the Mint 3 for like 500 wax? Is there something, is that an unethical situation to be in for a potential buyer to that collection to think that that asset is worth more than it potentially is? And this isn't specific to wax, I'm just using as as an example because, you know, it's I, I've recently taken part in an auction for them, but... I, I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's just just supply and demand, isn't it? There was suppose so. a supply of one and a demand of two, and <laughs> two people fought over the one. I mean, it, I think that's just how it goes. And and if people end up paying inflated prices for the other NFTs in that collection, that's because they've not done enough research. They've not looked at that. And I and I don't think you can see it's not. Uh, dodgy or manipulated by no. looking at the wallets that bid on it and and who who are the two people fighting over it and they'll <laughs> see one is you and they'll see all the nfts you've got and you'll be like okay right well that's legit yeah. so i i yeah i don't really i don't see that as a, a problem i wouldn't say it's manipulation but again i also don't think most people would go to that level of research to look in my wallet and see what nfts i've got or they'll just see the numbers on the graph and think oh look that went that one went for a lot and you know, maybe I could sell mine for that much without knowing the context or any of, you know, the background mm. information about the auction or the sale or, or whatever it is. So, but that's, ma- that's art, isn't it? That that's, is art. That's just, if something has no utility, it's worth what someone will pay for it. Yeah, for so sure. So it's worth exactly what you paid for it <laughs> because that's that's what it went for. So yeah. I, 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 I don't see a problem with that. I know what you're getting at and I know what mm-hmm. you mean. Yeah, yeah. And it could be unfortunate for people that, that come in and, and bid for that collection. But then what if there's actually 100,000 people that really, really wanted that NFT but just didn't you know didn't know it existed? Yeah. Then you got it really cheap. 
there's, there's lots of ways of looking at this. Yeah, for sure. And I think, again, talking about it in another way, what if you buy an NFT for cheap and then whoever the creator of this collection is decides to add a ton of utility to it or give it, I don't know, some staking functionality and all of a sudden it's worth a yeah. lot more. It works yeah, both absolutely. ways, so... Yeah, um, I, I don't. I don't think that's that's just how it goes at the moment. Particularly with NFTs, a lot of people are buying speculatively. So, uh, yeah, that's you know, congrats to you. <laughs> you you got an NFT you wanted. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, we have two questions left, and one of these questions um, was asked again by Zaroba in uh, again. I think both the NFT Insider and Token Gamer Discourse. It's a very, very interesting question, but I don't think either myself or Rob are equipped to answer it. So I'll I'll make a quick... Way above our pay grade. (laughs) (laughs) I'll make a quick mention of it. The question is, uh, you mentioned NFTs in property in previous episode. Gentrification is a major issue in bigger cities where residents don't have access to affordable housing because trusts or wealthy individuals are purchasing them as investments. Wouldn't property NFTs make this worse? Um... I it, my my <laughs> my initial reaction is yes. Are there solutions available to that? Possibly. Beyond that, I am in no way qualified to go in any further depth. <laughs> yeah, I I have no idea. I, I honestly couldn't say if it would make it worse or better. I, I honestly couldn't draw any connections between uh, NFTs and gentrification in that it would impact the outcome or the increase of it or the decrease of it so uh, yeah i'm out you, you, you're gonna have to find someone <laughs> far more knowledgeable than we are yeah i imagine there's so much red tape and regulation around something like that so oh god you, you need to be an expert in about three different areas to answer that question properly yeah uh, as much as we do want to tackle that uh, question as well um i'm sorry <laughs> no not smart enough Okay. Next question. Okay, that brings us on to the uh, the final question of this uh, of this podcast. It's from uh, Stuck at six pm. Who asks? Throughout twenty twenty one, collections went from single drops to packs to blends to introducing tokens and having tokenomics. What do you think is next? And do you think the space is still accessible to indie projects that exist as collectibles without any utility? Oof. Quite, there's a quite the, the only thing I, I disagree straight away is um, the timeline. I think single drops. Oh, we've had packs for a couple of years, so but I know I know what he's getting at. There does seem to be an evolution in what we get from you know what's coming out. That things are more complicated than they were. Um, as for what, what was it, repeat the last line of that question again for me. Uh, what do you think is next? Uh, do you think the space is still accessible to indie projects that exist as collectibles without utility? Um, it sounds like a cheap answer, but I think what is next is more complex and interesting utility in ways that many people won't have even thought of, including myself. I, I think we just haven't scraped the surface of, of what's possible in terms of utility. And I'm Every time, every I swear every day I'm reading some article that's like, oh my God, I didn't think of that. That's really cool. And I, I think that's just going to be continuous for possibly decades. If you look at, um, I think that the first sign of the internet compared to the sort of iteration we're used to for the last 10 years or so. I mean, there's decades in between of people honing it and improving it. And technology takes a long time. So I think we we will just constantly see the sort of evolution we've seen from the isolated drops through to complicated projects with tokenomics. Um, as for indie projects without utility, I had an argument with, I'm not going to name him, but I had an argument with uh, a developer who basically said that collectibles without utility aren't what NFTs are intended for and um, they're, they're just pointless and they'll die out. I don't think that's true at all. I think, <laughs> I mean, trading cards haven't died out. They're, they might they might actually be bigger today than they were in the early 1900s or where, whenever they first started getting a bit of uh, hype behind them and people buying yep. baseball cards and so on. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I really don't think collectibles without utility will die out. It might be a little bit harder to, to get that kind of harks back to the that previous question um, on uh, saturation of the market. But, yeah, I, I think we'll still see to collectibles without utility, but I think... <laughs> 
ironically utility will be where uh, where collections go from from here yeah i think the point on physical trading cards is um, yes in recent years we've seen you know rare Yu-Gi-Oh's, rare pokemon's rare magic the gathering cards increase in value but the people that are purchasing them aren't necessarily purchasing them to play with they're purchasing them just because they want to say hey i've got this rare card yeah um so whereas those things do have a sort of a real world utility let's say um they are effectively just collectibles for the majority of people um yeah i'll tackle the second half of that question first um do i think the space will still be accessible from an atomic point of view yes we will always support pure art projects um of course that doesn't mean that we can direct people to necessarily depart with their cryptocurrency to purchase them. Um, it's clear that at the moment, projects with utility or games are what has grabbed the community's attention. And whilst there is still room out there for pure artists, absolutely, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's where the money's moving. The money's moving more into, as I said, games and staking projects and that sort of thing. However, as I said, I mean, it may have been an emotional purchase, but I just spent two and a half thousand wax on an NFT that has zero utility whatsoever. So um, mm. it's it's a tricky one to answer. I think, yes, um, blockchains and marketplaces will continue to support pure art, but um, we don't we don't control who buys what. So it's it's difficult in that sense. And even in projects such as Board Ape Yacht Club, they're getting a, a play to earn blockchain game it's been developed by animoca brands at the moment so even in that case where it was pure art beforehand i mean it had a few you know you could go to real life party etc but i wouldn't consider that utility in the normal sense let's say um but even they're getting a play to earn game so it's it does seem like a lot of projects that started out art based are heading in that direction they're trying to find ways to implement utility or make their nfts part of a game I think we'll see more of that, but for the collections that don't want to do with that, I think there's still a path. It's going to be a harder path to walk for sure. And again, that goes back to um, earlier on in the podcast where I talked about you know, you know finding a niche, marketing yourself in a particular way, and just finding your audience. And I think that's the most important, I guess, piece of advice. I, I don't I think that's really advice. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of is advice, and and it does. It comes back to where I said um, it, it's worth what someone will pay for it. The thing is with collectibles that don't have utility is that is more or less the only component of its value. Whereas if something has utility, it derives value from its utility and perhaps um, its collectability or its, uh, you know, aesthetic. So yeah, I think it'll be, it's going to be harder for people that just do pure art collections. as I've mentioned a few times, the, the starving artist cliche is real. <laughs> you know, I've I've worked in the arts for seven seven or eight years, and it's it is difficult out there to you know to just. I I almost don't know. I don't think I know any any photographer who makes money just by creating art. Mm. I may I maybe know one, but most of them create um, photographs that are artistic but that they serve a purpose which is yeah. kind of what utility for nfts is so i yeah i think it's going to get it's going to get more difficult but that doesn't mean it's impossible and yeah. if you can build your audience and as, as john says if you can market yourself properly you know there's obviously a market out there for for collectibles without utility um there's trading cards from 19 hundreds that sell for millions mm. at auction i think that the highest selling ever was a basketball was it basketball baseball uh, it, one of the uh the american sports it yeah. was basketball baseball and it sold for three million euros or four million dollars or something like that crazy uh and that that's not that's not uncommon these sort of really rare i mean we've seen pokemon cards sell for that they mm-hmm. do have utility but like john said yeah i mean yeah they don't they don't actually. Nobody's using them to play the uh, <laughs> the Pokemon like uh, trading card game in in person. It's just a, a collectible. So yeah, it's going to be more difficult, but hey, still possible. Yeah, uh, I just I just realised I had denounced the first part of that. What do I think is next? I agree with Rob. It's sort of more complex utility, adding further utility to NFTs that already have utility. Just taking utility in new directions, and uh, I guess seeing seeing how far it can go. Yeah, it's, it's difficult because I always feel like someone would say, well, what sort of utility are they going to add? 
But that's kind of like saying, you know, what does the future hold? <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't really know. There's there's some interesting applications of NFTs. There's uh, a health tracking one that I saw okay. a couple of months ago that links with your watch. And it's that, it was actually really, really cool because the you buy the NFT and then you basically unlock things for your NFT, like your NFT character, when you're completing your daily steps or if you go for a 10K run. Um, so by completing health tasks that, you know, like your Apple Watch might set for you, um, you earn points and you level up your character and you get unlocks for it. Interesting. I think that was a really cool sort of unique way of uh, adding utility to an NFT character. Uh, and the characters like just can be displayed on your on your Apple Watch. Did you hear that scream? Yes. I'm pretty sure they might pick that up, but we haven't got a choice because I was midpoint. So <laughs> that's, that's all right. We'll cover that. We'll that's that's got to stay in there. Uh, I, I don't keep children in a basement or anything. That's just uh, <laughs> somebody outside my uh, my door returning home. Uh, um, but yeah, so there's lots of cool ways we can add utility to NFTs. And that's just one that I can think of. And who knows what's coming next? I think we'll see a lot more this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, outro. I've got three minutes, so... Three minutes for the outro. So we can't do our usual f***ing disaster. <laughs> well, I try not to ramble on for as long as I normally do. So, uh, Rob, let's start with you this week, because I think we normally start okay. with me, and I, I don't know if I'll, we're up for a change. Uh, where can people find yourself? Um, tokengamer.io is where we have blockchain gaming news, reviews, and... I can't think of a third word that rhymes, but various articles on uh, our space, particularly Wax. And also we have our app, which is now on Android and Apple. Awesome. But we had to, we had to strip back some of the functionality because Apple don't like the initialism NFT. Uh, if you include that anywhere in your description, they blacklist you. Yeah. So we're still wrestling with them. But if you've got uh, an Android, you can get the full app. If you've got Apple, we are gradually adding more functionality, but it's got um, the Wax cloud wallet viewer analytics you can go through all your nfts not just whitelisted ones you can see all nfts um, and you can you get a news feed with all our latest articles uh, and on twitter it's at token gamer news you john fantastic uh, so for me personally i am at hydropowered on twitter instagram and twitch uh, I stream three times a week on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays at 19 UTC, the 7 p.m. UK time, playing a range of blockchain games, giving away U- U- UFTs, giving away NFTs. Mm. That's better. <laughs> and uh, just Unfungible having fungible tokens. <laughs> just having a fun time and uh, and hanging out with you guys. Uh, for anything NFT Insider related, for all the latest Wax NFT news, you can head to nftinsider.io or nftinsider underscore io on both Twitter and Instagram for the very latest. Awesome. Okay, now we would usually do an outro ramble here, but John has less than 60 seconds to get onto his next call. I do. So, 32, um, 31, we will, 30. We will save you our usual uh, See you next week. <laughs> we'll see you next week.